What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning together. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn it with me to Second Chronicles um, chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. So just open up your Bibles and keep your, your, your Bible open throughout our message because we're going to frequently refer to these passages of Scripture this morning. Folks, you know what we need more than anything in, a re- in America? We need revival. And I'm not just talking about a change of heart. I mean, we need a great awakening to sweep across our nation and around this world. We need the kind of revival that changes us individually. We need the kind of revival that changes us corporately as a body of believers. We need the kind of revival that changes our cities, that changes our counties, that changes our nation, and that changes our world. We need the kind of revival like the city of New York experienced during the mid-1800s. In 1857, there was a 46-year-old man named Jeremiah Lamphrey who lived within the uh, lived in, in New York. Jeremiah loved the Lord tr- tremendously, but he didn't feel like the Lord could use him. That was until he began to feel a burden for the lost and accepted an invitation from his church to become a missionary throughout the city of New York. So in July of 1857, he started walking up and down the city streets of New York, passing out tracts and talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. But he became frustrated because he was seeing no fruit. He was seeing no success. That was until the Lord impressed upon his heart the need to pray. So he printed up a bunch of tracts, and he began to pass them out once again along the streets of New York, inviting people to come to the old North Dutch Reformed Church on Fulton Street in New York City at 12 o'clock on Wednesday afternoons to pray. He passed out hundreds and hundreds of flyers and put up posters everywhere he could. Wednesday came. And at noon, nobody showed up. So Jeremiah got on his knees and he started praying. For 30 minutes, he prayed by himself in that old Dutch Reformed church. Then finally, five other people walked in. The next Wednesday, they met again at noon to pray. 20 people showed up. The following Wednesday, 30 or 40 people showed up. Then they decided that they were going to meet every day from 12 to 1 to pray for the city of New York. Before long, a few ministries caught wind of this and a few ministers came to observe what was going on. And so they came and when they came, they realized we need to start this at our own churches. So within six months, there were over 5,000 prayer groups throughout the city of New York praying for revival. Soon the word spread all over the country. Prayer groups started in Philadelphia, Detroit, and Washington, D.C. In fact, President Franklin Pierce started going almost every day to pray. By 1850, 
nine. Some 15,000 cities in America were having downtown prayer meetings every day at noon, and thousands upon thousands of people were brought to faith in Christ. You can't tell me you can't change the world. You can't tell me you're too old or too insignificant to change the world that we live in. Jeremiah Lamphrey was a 46-year-old man that felt insignificant in the kingdom of God. However, God took this one man who felt insignificant and he used him to, to, to begin a revival that resulted in thousands upon thousands of people placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this saying. I've got this saying in my house and I, I'm pretty sure that um, chief in the wild bunch room, they have it in their room. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. This morning, we're down in attendance, and I've already alluded to that. We have several of our families that are gone this morning. I knew preparing for this message that was going to be the case, but I did not change my approach. If there was one person that showed up this morning, that one person was going to get this message, or 20,000 people showed up this morning, this was the message that I was going to preach. This is a significant message for a significant group of people this morning. Every single person in this room has the potential to change this world. But in order for us to see change sweep across our, our, our church and our world, it starts with revival. We need a revival. And a revival begins when God's people pray. Throughout the Bible, we see this to be the case. Throughout the, the history of the church, we see this to be the case. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, we see this to be the case. This morning, I want us to look at the ingredients for revival. During the days of King David and King Solomon, there was no greater nation on the face of the earth than the nation of Israel. They were a world superpower. They had the mightiest of all armies. God declared that Israel was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a fruitful land. And they were a people that had great wealth and they had great skills. And it would be under the leadership of King David that a vision was birthed to build a permanent dwelling place for the Lord. One day David felt a need to build a permanent dwelling place for the Lord. And he felt this need as he sat in his own house that had, it was a house made of cedar. It was probably a ni- nice house. And so David one day was in his house and he looked out the window and he, and he just kind of had an epiphany. And he realized that here he was living in a house with a roof while the, while the presence of the Lord dwelt in a tent. So he made a commitment on that day that he would build a temple to be a permanent dwelling place for the Lord. David had the vision, but the Lord made it clear that his vision would only come to fruition under the leadership of his son. So point number one is this. There is a dedication prayer. A dedication prayer. Under King Solomon's leadership, the people of Israel built the temple to be a permanent dwelling place for the Lord. And upon its completion, Solomon prayed. 
He prayed a prayer of dedication, and within this prayer, he intercedes on behalf of the nation of Israel. Look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 18 through 25. And as we read this, notice how Solomon prayed, and specifically notice the request that he makes on behalf of the nation of Israel. We read in verse 18, But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place, and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel. When they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor, and is made to take an oath, and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven, and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head, and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. If your people... Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you. Then they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people and bring them again to the land that you gave them and to their fathers. Throughout this prayer, Solomon prays on behalf of the nation of Israel. He asks the Lord to remember the nation of Israel during their times of sin. Solomon knew his people. He knew they were bent toward evil. History had proven that. Think about humanity. Think about us. Think about our sin nature. From the moment sin entered the world, Humanity has left God behind and we have pursued our own desires instead of the desires of God, haven't we? We're all about ourself. We're all about self-gratification. We're all about living for the now and getting what we want as opposed to what God wants us to experience. Solomon, being the absolute wisest man that has ever walked the face of this earth, he knew his people. He was, he was a great king that cared deeply for the people that God had given him to lead. So he prays for the nation of Israel. He knew their past. He knew their present. And he very much knew their future. So he intercedes on their behalf. He asks the Lord to remember the nation during their times of sin. When they sin, Solomon asks that the Lord would forgive them in advance. Faith family, you know what God is looking for today? He's looking for men, women, and students to pray for our nation. He's looking for men, women, and students to pray against the wickedness that is plaguing this world. He's looking for men, women, and students to pray that the Lord will remember his people and forgive our sins. 
We need a revival, faith family. We need it individually, and we need it corporately. Some of you may be asking yourself, well, what exactly is a revival? Well, the, the word revival comes from two Latin phrases, the first being re, which means again, and the second being vivera, which means to live. So revival means to live again. I love what Stephen Olford says. He says, revival is an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. And Vance Havner said that revival is the church falling in love with Jesus all over again. We need heaven to invade this place. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to invade this place this morning. We need the Lord to break us and transform us into the people that he created us to be. Solomon prayed on behalf of the people of Israel. He prayed that during his nation's darkest periods that the Lord would remember his covenant people and forgive them of their sins. Think about the nation that we live in today. Think about our world. We live during a time when auto idol worship is at an all-time high, as we looked at last week. We live in a time when self-worship is at an all-time high. We live during a time when atheism and agnosticism is at an all-time high. Homosexuality is a new norm. We have actually had the audacity as a people to redefine what God has clearly defined when it comes to marriage. Pornography is destroying our homes. We're aborting babies for research and profiteering. Radical terrorists are sweeping across our land. Christians are being martyred every single day around this world. And our young people are leaving the church at record numbers. All of this is happening This morning, while you and I are sitting in our comfy pews, and soon we will leave from this place, and we will go to eat lunch, and we'll leave from lunch, and we'll go to our grand homes, and we'll turn on our grand TVs, and the vast majority of us this morning will forget about what we talked about this morning across this campus, prayer and revival. We we think we don't need revival. We think that we have been rescued from our collision course with hell, and that is all we need. And that is where we are wrong. You and I have been called by God and set apart for God to be God's people. His people do not live like this world. You know that, right? God's people do not live like this world. We see this in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
You and I are God's people set apart for God's work. And until you and I recognize that as believers, then you and I are going to continue to sit back content while this world is on a collision course with hell. We've got to recognize the urgency for revival, just like Solomon did. Second point this morning is this, an answered prayer. Solomon prayed on behalf of the nation of Israel. Following his prayer, there would be seven days of dedication and seven days of, of, of great worship that swept across the land. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, we read, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Can you imagine what the people of Israel witnessed on this day? The glory of the Lord descended from heaven and fell down upon the holy of holies, upon the inner part of the temple. And the people, what did they do, man? They fell on their face, prostrate before God. And they declared, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. When was the last time that you and I fell prostrate before our God, acknowledging his goodness? and his holiness, and his righteousness. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time we were in absolute awe of God as a result of being in the presence of God? I love what King Solomon shared in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 7. Solomon writes, Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore stand in awe of God. You know what you and I have been called to do? We've been called to stand in awe of God. You and I need a revival. We need to stop being self-consumed and become God-consumed. So the people prayed for seven days. And as... uh, And then at the conclusion of that, they returned to their homes. And as we read the scripture, it almost looks like right after Solomon prayed and the temple was dedicated and the people celebrated that God answered the prayer of Solomon. But that's not the case at all. It would take 13 years before God would answer Solomon's prayer. And we see here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verses 11 and 12 we read, "Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, Listen, 13 years after he prayed, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. In a minute, we're going to continue to read the answer to that prayer. First, let me begin by saying this. God answers our prayer, not on our timeline, but his. We expect God to answer our prayers immediately, don't we? 
We look to God so often. And I have been guilty of this in my life. Where we look to God more as our personal genie that we are able to summon at our beckon by rubbing the, the magic lamp. We summon God in our time to answer our need during our time. God does not work on our timetable. He does not move at the speed of yours and my request. Scripture does not tell us this, but I do not think that this is the only time that Solomon prayed on behalf of the nation of Israel. I believe that over the 13 years, Solomon prayed fervently and persistently for the people of Israel, for the nation of Israel. I want you to know right now that I pray for you. Sometimes I pray persistently for you, and at other times I pray as the, God, as the Lord leads me to pray for you. I need to pray for you so much more than I do, and that's a commitment that I am going to make, is to pray for you more, to pray that God would bring about revival within this fellowship, within us individually, and that we're able to see God as a result of what he does here, bring about revival across these cities and across this nation. If we pray, God promises us that he will answer our prayers. Let us be persistent in the area of our praying. And let's notice our, our third point. It's kind of different from your sermon outline. But it, um, the, 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 um, it is a contingent answer. A contingent answer is point three. God answers Solomon's prayer, but the answer has conditions. Look with me at Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The Lord says this. Here's his answer. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. In Second Chronicles 7.14, a verse that all of us know, says this, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. The Lord does make it abundantly clear that he will answer Solomon's prayer, but his answer is contingent. It is contingent upon the response of the people. The Lord says he will answer prayers and forgive sins, but only if his people pray and repent. Let's look at God's answer. Let's kind of break this down this morning. In order for revival to break out across our land, this is what must happen. God says, if my people who are called by my name. First, notice who will not bring about revival across our land. Our government will not bring about revival across our land. The White House is not the answer to our broken, messed up world. We know that, right? Our school system is not the answer to our broken, messed up world. Students can definitely sweep across our 
campus and revival can occur through the work of our students on our campuses. But because our administrators and our teachers are so um, hand-tied, they're unable to facilitate revival the way that they once were. When most of us went to school, teachers had free liberty to share their faith in the classroom, but today they cannot do that. So our schools are not the answer to revival. Hollywood is not the answer to revival. If anyone has been instrumental in the moral decline of our nation, it has been the result of Hollywood. You know what will bring about change? God's people. His church, his called out ones. We are the ones that are going to bring about revival that is going to sweep across this nation and across this land this morning. In order for revival to happen, then God's people must, notice the second thing, must humble themselves and pray. There's two ingredients that always accompany revival. It is prayer and humility. I love what Gypsy Smith used to do. He was a 19th century evangelist who did something unusual before he would ever enter a city to pray or to preach revival services. It says that Gypsy Smith would always, outside of the city that he was going to, would always draw a circle. And he would step inside of that circle and he would pray for God to bring about revival first within the person's life that was in that circle. If we want revival to happen across our nation and across our cities and around our world, then it must begin with us. When we draw a circle, step inside that circle and say, God, begin revival right here. If you and I want to see our nation revive, then it will only begin when we ask the Lord to begin that revival in us. You and I may be small in number this morning. We may be small in number as a church, but what I know is it only takes one Gypsy Smith. It only takes one Billy Graham. It only takes one Martin Luther, Billy Sunday, Charles Finney, or Jonathan Edwards. It only takes one Jeremiah Lamprey to pray with humility for God to begin a revival. Church family, we need to pray for the Lord to revive us. We need to pray corporately and individually for God to bring about revival within our lives. It starts with us humbling ourselves and praying and praying for the Lord Jesus to radically show up week in and week out, not only in this room, but also during our personal prayer time and devotion times that we have on a daily basis. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what we can do? Absolutely nothing. But you know what we can do when we live within the will of of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do all things. And we have that promise in Philippians 4.13 where Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notice what we see here next, God's answer. He says, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You and I have been called to die to self. If we want to experience revival, then we have got to get out of the way 
and live our lives sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, this life is not about us. It's all about him. It's all about the Father. It's all about the Son. And it's all about the Holy Spirit. If we want to experience revival, then we must seek him and him only. And as we seek him, here's what's happening. We are turning from self and dying to self and declaring our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word turn means to repent. In the early 1970s, there was a preacher from San Antonio by the name of Jack Taylor. He was the pastor of Castle Hills Baptist Church. His members had been praying for revival. And revival came to that church whenever this pastor was away on revival. The youth pastor was scheduled to preach on that particular Sunday. And he had a sermon all prepared to share. But right before he got up to preach, the Lord impressed upon his heart that he was just to preach a three-word sermon. And so this young man stands up before the congregation and he declares, he says, repent, repent, repent. And as a result of those three Words that one word said three times that church began revival on that particular Sunday morning. That church experienced real revival when God's people prayed and they repented of their sins. When we cry out and repent, notice what happens. We have this promise from God I will hear from heaven. When we cry out, we have the promise that God will hear us. When we pray to God the Father, and we pray in accordance with his will, humbly and repentfully, we have this promise that God will hear us. And he will forgive our sins. He will hear us and forgive us. And he will heal our land. Isn't that good news this morning? That when God's people pray, God will hear us, God will forgive us, and God will heal our land. He will heal the people within this land, and God will bring about revival. Vance Havner also stated, The reason America does not have revival is because while the situation is desperate, the saints are not. It is time for you and I to get desperate on behalf of our broken homes, on behalf of our broken nation, and on behalf of our broken world. Many of you have heard this statement by um, Tony Evans, but Tony Evans frequently makes this comment. He says, the reason we have a messed up universe is because we have a messed up world, made up of messed up nations, made up of messed up states, made up of messed up cities, made up of messed up neighborhoods, made up of messed up churches, made up of messed up families, and made up of messed up, messed up people. You and I may be messed up today, but on this day, we can also be restored. We can be forgiven and we can be set aflame for the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of this church, on behalf of these cities, on behalf of this 
county, on behalf of this nation, and on behalf of this world. We need a revival. And true revival begins when God's people pray. You know that, right? True revival begins when God's people pray. And when we pray in accordance with with God's word, we have this promise that God will heal us, God will forgive us, and God will transform us as a people, as a nation, and as a world. I don't believe it's too late for God to do a mighty work across our world. Our world is in desperate need of revival. Our church is in desperate need of revival. Our cities are in desperate need of revival. We need to start praying for revival. This morning in Sunday school, you spent time studying prayer. On Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. in that prayer room, we meet together every week to pray for revival. I invite you to come to be a part of that. And the invitation is there once again. If you can't meet at 7 and you want to meet at 6, somebody will be here at 6 o'clock to pray with you and to join together in praying. Scripture says where two or three are gathered, the Lord Jesus Christ is right there in their midst. So if you want to pray at 6, if you want to pray at 5, we'll be here to pray. We need a revival. And that revival would begin when God's people pray. You may be here this morning, and you may not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins. That is to cry out to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And and you can have this promise, and you can know this promise, which God's Word states that God will forgive you of your sins, and he he, he he promises us that our names will be written in the land's book of life, and we will experience eternal life. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never called out on the name of the Lord this morning, I invite you to come so that you can experience the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've been visiting with us for a while and the Lord is leading you and your family here to join this morning, we invite you to come and join this faith family. You may be here this morning and the Lord has just revealed to you that, man, you need to start praying. You need to start praying on behalf of our faith family, on behalf of our cities, county, nations, and world for revival. And if you need to come and kneel at this altar, then I invite you to come and kneel at this altar. During this invitation, if the Lord is speaking to you, then you come. You come. Let's stand together. And our um, Justin's going to come with his team and lead us in a time of worship. But let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you now. Father, just acknowledging that we are in desperate need of you. Acknowledging that we are in desperate need of revival to happen within this faith family and within this city, across these cities, across this county, across this state, across this nation, and around this world, Father. We need you to show up in a mighty, mighty way. And Father, we pray that Friendship Baptist Church will have a role in the next great awakening that is going to sweep across this world. And Father, we know and believe that it will only happen when your people pray. And Father, so we come before you this morning 
with a prayerful attitude, asking you to begin revival in our lives. Father, we know that that revival is going to begin when your people repent of their sins, die to self, take up their cross, and follow after you on a daily basis. And when that happens, Lord Jesus, revival is going to begin. And so, Father, this is not just a one sermon and out where we're not going to mention revival again. It's going to be something that we talk frequently about over the next weeks and months and years until you show up in a mighty way within our lives. So, Father, I ask now that if there is someone here this morning that has never received you as their Lord and Savior, that this morning will be the day of their salvation. If there's a faith family in this place that needs to come and join this church today, may today be the day, Lord Jesus. If this altar needs to be filled with your people praying and repenting, then, Father, move now during our time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.